Happiness is what counts for children. Happiness and harmony. I just want you to have everything. Is that wrong? I won't talk to you ever again. You're a rotten, mean family. You'll never give me anything I want. I just want them to have everything I never had. Generosity! Ha! The American way of parenting hinges on extravagant displays of giving. It goes like this. We love our children so much. We want what's best for them with such acute intensity that we give them shipping containers of sparkly toys, cell phones, sporting equipment, music lessons, prom tickets, birthday parties, gaming consoles. Recent research shows American parents are giving more to their children than ever before, spending to new heights on competitive sports and supporting kids into adulthood, even at the expense of their own financial security. This procession of parental giving comes from a place of generosity. We want our children to be happy, to have skills, to feel loved, right? But what if we're missing out on a key way generosity can transform your child's life, not just as someone on the receiving end of all that you have to give, but as someone who can tap generosity's hidden power? I'm Carol Lloyd, and this is Like a Sponge, the podcast for parents about how children learn and flourish. Today, we're talking about the science of generosity and why we parents can use this new knowledge now to help our children throughout their lives. Researchers from across the sciences, psychology, neuroscience, economics, have given this topic a lot of attention lately, trying to figure out what makes some people generous and others selfish. What happens to people's brains and bodies when they behave generously? And as parents who only want the best for their kids, why should we care? Meet Mackenzie Hinson. When she was 10 years old, she started Make a Difference Food Pantry in Mount Olive, North Carolina. Pretty good. How's your warehouse looking? Um, We had to take out a few more walls today. Oh, my Lord. The first time we spoke with Mackenzie, it was just after Hurricane Florence had blown through her community. Her food pantry had flooded, and so she'd had to shut it down. But families needed her help more than ever. The hurricane was probably... One of the most exhausting times of my life. Yeah. We worked 43 days straight. Oh, my goodness. Giving out food? Yes, ma'am. When I first heard about McKinsey, I was a little skeptical. What makes a 10-year-old start a food bank? Was there a parent puppeteer pulling the strings from behind the scenes? She told me she was researching a presentation for her 4-H club when she found out that hunger was a big problem in her rural county. Um... There was a lot of statistics that went into the speech. And once you look at those and you realize that they're right here in your community, you're like, oh, my gosh, I never even noticed that, never even paid it any mind. And What kind of statistics were you finding out? Um, there are over 700,000 people in North Carolina that are experiencing food insecurities, and 375,000 are children. One in three children and one in five elderly people in Wayne County, where I'm from, suffer from food insecurities. When you learned about all that hunger, what did, what did you think about that? It was just astonishing to see how many people actually suffered from hunger. And when you go to volunteer at other food pantries, 
you actually see it face to face. And it was just an incredible feeling that I'll never understand. Mackenzie told her mom she wanted to open her own food pantry. She kind of laughed. She's like, okay, this will be gone in a day. She thought it was going to be like a weekend project like a lot of people did. Mackenzie's mom responded like a lot of parents would. When kids learn about an injustice in school, they get ideas. They want to do something. But often, it's a short-lived urge. So what makes a kid feel so strongly motivated to give to others that it reorganizes their entire life? The 4-H Club may have been the first answer to the question, but when I asked again, Mackenzie told me something else. When she was six, something happened to her mom. She had a stroke and she was paralyzed on her entire left side. When she had the stroke, people helped us that we didn't even know. They paid our light bill. They filled our pantry full of canned foods. As a very young kid, Mackenzie saw firsthand what a big difference small acts of generosity can make. I was just always taught to never take life for granted and to pay my blessings forward and always give back. Today, Mackenzie is homeschooled, which is how she can devote herself to her food pantry. On the days her pantry is open, she's up at 6.30 a.m. to pick up the bread. At noon, she starts handing out numbers to the people who are already waiting. At 5 p.m., the pantry opens, and she starts letting people in. We close at 6.30, but the past couple of times we've been open, we haven't closed till 7.30 because there's so many people that have been in line. I'm actually not tired when I get home, which is the weird part. I feel like the little energizer bunny that you see on TV with the battery pack on its back. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel like. You're just hyped, (laughs) excited. Exactly. My battery never dies. This idea of a little girl doing hard work on her feet for 13 hours, day after day, and feeling positively giddy at the end of the night, I know that as I was listening to Mackenzie, I was thinking, Is this normal? But neuroscience suggests I may be selling normal short. Researchers have found that being generous activates the same reward pathways in the brain as the ones triggered by food and sex. Giving feels good. And evolutionary biologists say this is no accident. Just like the drive to eat and procreate, the reward feedback loop for generous behavior may have evolved for the same reasons. Giving in short, helped us stay alive. Which makes the idea of paying your blessings forward more than just a metaphor. In Mackenzie's case, those acts of generosity by her neighbors all those years ago when her mom was sick paid some pretty big dividends to her community. Since opening in 2015, we have served over 714,000 people and distributed over 1 million pounds of food across three states. I want to be the food hub of North Carolina, and I want to supply all the food for the pantries on this side of North Carolina, the eastern side, so they don't have to run out of food. Not every kid is going to dedicate themselves to ending hunger in their community, but every kid can learn how to be a little more giving, a little less likely to turn out like Eleanor from The Good Place. Do you have a second to talk about the environment? Do you have a second to eat my farts? Why? Generosity is like winning the lottery for well-being. Studies have shown behaving generously makes people happier. Research also shows that generous people are more creative and less likely to get burned out at work. It's good to be good. I talk about 
the giver's glow. That's Stephen Post, a professor at Stony Brook University Medical School. He studies generosity from a medical perspective, how generosity affects the health of the giver. And what he's found is so significant, he thinks doctors should prescribe volunteering for their patients. I focus on the hidden gifts of helping, the ways in which people flourish when they live more generously. And so you've actually recommended that volunteering should be a preventative treatment of sorts. Can you talk about why? Volunteering is beneficial to the volunteer. Our studies show that people who are generous are much more resilient. Then Post told me about a study that started back in the 20s in Berkeley, California. It was a study that involved about 300 preteens, all of whom were 12 years old. And the researchers asked the preteens, what motivates you in life? And about a third of them said, well, I want to use my talents and my gifts to help humanity and to make the world a better place. Researchers followed these 312-year-olds over the course of their lifetimes, interviewing them every 10 years, looking at medical records, giving them psychological tests. And what they found about the kids who said they wanted to help humanity is pretty eye-opening. They did better in school. They had fewer behavioral problems. And that's actually, you know, not to get technical, but that's been demonstrated in neuroscience as well, because when the uh, neuro pathways for empathy and compassion and kindness are turned on, it actually turns off the pathways associated with bitterness, Mm. hostility, anger, and so forth. So in other words, the brain pathways for kindness are being grown and the pathways for anger are not. If you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. It's very hard to have those things going on at the same time. So one typically displaces the other. Post says that hardwiring the brain not to be angry has incredibly important repercussions, that people who have a lot of negative and destructive emotions, what psychologists call high hostels, face terrible odds. In fact, the high hostels uh, tend to have pretty high mortality rates by age 50. So teaching kids to be generous is good medicine. And like a vaccine for the measles, it ends up protecting those around them, too. If we raised a society of generous kids, it could be like herd immunity against anger and hate. So where do parents come into this giving equation? Scientists say we're hardwired for generosity, but let's face it, the human species also has mad skills when it comes to greed. What's your role in tipping the scales towards generosity or selfishness. Research tells us it's huge. But here's the thing. Forcing your kid to do community service may not work. Something really interesting Stephen Post told me is that the benefits of generosity really kick in when people choose to help, which is where the story of a little girl who was given the choice as a gift comes in. Sonali Ranawira was 11 years old growing up in the Bay Area when her parents gave her money for Christmas and said she could donate it in any way she chose, as long as it would help someone else. Here's her mother, Jawika. For Christmas, that 
year, uh, my husband and I wanted to mm, give something different for them to do. So we uh, gave both our kids, son, my son and my daughter, both received $100 each in cash. And uh, we told them to use all of it or some of it to make somebody's life different. So it came with just one condition that they could not put the money into a charity box. They had to think through and make the most out of it. Sonali didn't have to think about it for long. I knew right away that I wanted to donate this money to Smile Train. Smile Train, they provide cleft lip surgeries for kids who are born with a cleft lip or palate. There are many kids in like the third world countries who can't afford the surgery. Jiwika did something the research supports. She didn't force her daughter to give money to a certain cause or volunteer at the church fundraiser. She allowed it to be her project. Sonali's parents were able to give each of their kids $100 to donate, which is obviously not possible for many families. But the amount isn't the point. It could have been $10 or $5 or a single quarter. And in fact, Jiwika practiced this with her children from the time they were very young. So I remember uh, once with my son, actually, when he was about three years old, we went to uh, Safeway to do grocery shopping, and he had a quarter with him that he wanted to uh, use to buy candy from those vending machines kind of thing. But as we were going in, uh, there was a woman uh, like asking for money with a board in it. So uh, I gave him the option. I said, Mano, would you like to help her with the quarter you have, or do you want to go and get candy? Then he looked at me and said, Chiwika intuited something else the research backs up. Multiple studies have shown that when we spend money on other people, it makes us happier than when we spend it on ourselves. A series of studies found spending just $5 on someone else makes people feel happier. And feeling happier about having spent money on someone else made people more likely to do it again. The funny thing is... Most people wrongly predicted that spending money on themselves would make them happier than spending it on other people. Which is why giving your kids the chance to feel generous is so crucial. When it came to Sonali's Christmas gift, even the $100 wasn't enough to cover the cost of a cleft-lipped surgery. She was 150 short, so she had to get creative. I was in sixth grade at the time, and in my science class, we were learning about recycling and ways of helping the environment. And my teacher told us how in California you can make money by redeeming recyclables. And so as soon as I heard that, the idea kind of just came to me, maybe I can start doing that and come up with the rest of the money. So I came home, I talked to my mom about it, and she really liked the idea. She said we could start saving the recyclables we have at home, we can ask from friends and family. Two months later, she'd collected thousands of empty plastic bottles and cans and piled them in the backyard. When she redeemed them, she had enough money to cover the cost of a single surgery. And then after I did it, after I made that first donation, I felt like really happy. And I just, that that feeling made me want to not just stop there to keep doing it. Sonali's recycling program became its own nonprofit called Recycling for Smiles. So far, they've redeemed more than 70,000 pounds of bottles and cans and raised more than $75,000. Jiwika admits it's been a family affair. We were all committed, basically. It was like a village. She couldn't drive, and uh, my husband and I both had to help her to go and pick up the recyclables, take them to the recycling place, and also to set up a bank account for her and to register the charitable organization in in the Santa Clara County. All those things we, we had to do for her. 
In a world where the generosity index only measures the giving of billionaires, celebrities shamelessly flash their Cartier crap, and we parents show love by raining down stuff that fills up the landfills, it's worth asking, are kids really getting the message that giving is better than getting? Generosity isn't just about donating money to charity or doing community service. It's small things too, helping a stranger or taking care of someone sick or going out of your way to be kind. When you raise your child to be generous, you're helping them grow up to be happier, healthier, more resilient to life's setbacks. You're also dropping something into the invisible lake of human experience. You may never see the ripple, but its reverberations can turn up in the most unexpected places, like a little girl working on her 4-H presentation. People tell me every day, you're a hero, you're a hero. I'm like, I'm not, I'm a normal person. Everybody is generous. They just have to have time and heart. And everybody has that. That's it for another episode of Like a Sponge. Special thanks to Mackenzie Hinson, Stephen Post, Sonali and Jawika Ranawira, and to the Gloria Barron Prize for Young Heroes for introducing us to Mackenzie and Sonali. Every year, the Barron Prize honors 25 kids between the ages of 8 and 18 who have made a difference in the world. Like a Sponge is produced by Carol Lloyd and me, Charity Ferreira, for Great Schools, thanks to the support of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and the John Templeton Foundation. Sound editing and design by Christopher Ferreira. Special thanks to our managing editor, Jessica Kelman, and to our advisor on the science of character, Dr. Rich Lerner. He's the director of the Institute for Applied Research in Youth Development at Tufts University. Learn more about us at greatschools.org.